This is Dennis Cohen, and welcome to the Utterly Biased Podcast. For each podcast, I'll be talking with newsmakers from the Boston innovation community and beyond. This week, I'm joined by Mike Troiano, who just left his role as CMO of Actifio to join G20 Ventures as a partner. I also talk with Andy Palmer, co-founder of Tamer Labs, who just joined Founder Collective in the role of founder partner. If you haven't signed up for the Utterly Biased newsletter yet, please go to www.utterlybiased.com and sign up to get some of the stories behind the news that's happening each week in the Boston tech ecosystem, as people want to call it, or in people who are doing some really cool, innovative stuff in Boston and the rest of New England. And now here's my talk with Mike Triano. Okay, I'm uh, here with Mike Troiano, uh, our first guest here. He uh, was a longtime CMO at Actifio, and he just joined G20 Ventures uh, as a venture capitalist, a, a major transition. Um, I want to thanks for first to say thanks to Mike for joining us today. Uh, congratulations on this move. I've known Mike for a long time. I've always appreciated Mike's candor and the advice he's given. Uh, and, and many of the conversations we've had over uh, my careers or, or whatever it is I've been doing. Um, so I'm really excited to have Mike here today. Mike, thank you for joining. Um, it's today. my pleasure, Dennis. Thanks for uh, having me, and thanks for the kind words. And uh, the first thing I wanted to ask you about, and it's something that came up, and I remember clearly from many conversations we've had in the past, and you, you've, when you're giving advice, you talk a lot about your career and things you've learned and your experiences. And I remember very vividly you talking about your career's mission and, and kind of having a good sense of what you want to do with your career. And I, and I think knowing you well, I think this move follows up. I want to hear in your own words how this transition from marketing to venture capital kind of follows along and maybe fulfills your the next step in your life's work, uh, if, if you will. Sure. So... Um you know, I think it's been a, a while since I was a sort of straight up marketing guy, you know. Um, I think the difference between, you know, being a VP of marketing and being a CMO is that, you know, the VP of marketing is the most senior level marketing, you know, exec, whereas the, the CMO is an executive first and brings that, you know, a perspective on the business as a whole into the management of the marketing function. Um, and, you know, whether it was, you know, as a GM at MCube or as a, uh, you know, as a president, as a CEO, um, or as a marketing guy uh, in a team uh, running an agency, um, all these have been involved in, you know, really helping entrepreneurs realize their vision, you know, create a business, formulate something. Um, you know, my transition, the biggest transition of my whole career was actually the transition from being a straight up ad guy to being more of an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think what, what changed me there was, was I, I love creating things and, mm-hmm. and it was very gratifying to create a 30 second spot, but it was, it was infinitely more gratifying to create something that gave someone a job. And so that idea of business building has always been a kind of creative function. Um, and, and this, you know, VC is, is really just another platform to, to do that, to continue to do the same thing. Um, and it just happens to be a platform with a dramatically better business model than, than that of an agency. So, um, In what sense, what sense is that, do you think the, the business models are better agency versus VC? Well, I think, you know, every 
business concerns itself with two things, creating value and capturing a share of the value it creates. And I think that good VC firms in 2017, you know, in, in some ways they create value the same way good strategic minded uh, agencies do, at least in terms of the council part of what they do. I mean, agencies don't bring capital and VCs do. But, uh, you know, I've been consulting with clients on strategic issues since I was in my early 30s, you know, at big global agencies. And so um, that aspect of the job, I think, is very much analogous. Um, agencies capture a share of the value they create through an hourly fee structure, um, you know, generally speaking. And that's just a tough way to make a nickel. Uh, whereas VCs, uh, they capture value um, in the appreciation of the equity they invest in, and, and uh, that's a business model that um, I think is, is pretty well proven for people who can make good choices. And in terms of, uh, you know, so a different part of the transition, which you talked about briefly before, um, you know, we started uh, talking right now, was this idea of, of it being a humbling experience for you. So, you know, where do you think the biggest learning curve for you will be in this, this new transition of your career? Um, there's probably two dimensions to that. I think one is um, the craft of it. You know, like anything else, VC has a certain set of very specialized expertise, um, you know, everything from, you know, the mechanics of details in a term sheet and the way risk is divided and, and you know, whether you create the option pool out of the pre or the post money and like all the sort of contractual arcana of VC, um, you know, we as a firm tend to be pretty straight up and not overly creative when it comes to uh, some of those terms. But I think understanding them in the context of the industry, there's a learning curve for that. And, uh, you know, I'm probably applying myself the hardest to come up that curve mm -hmm. as quickly as possible. Um, it helps to have two incredible, you know, mentors in the form of my partners, Bill and Bob. Um, so that's, that's one aspect of it, is just the mechanics of of uh, you know contracts and terms, um, and then I think on a on a more you know sort of emotional and personal level, you know I'm a believer, like I want to believe, like you know you get me like you know well, we're just coming off the tech stars thing and I'm there and I'm like wow this is awesome you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. cool like this is civilization in a box you know like whatever, um, and and I think to be a good investor you have to bring a little bit more of a measured perspective to these things, try to figure out what's wrong with them, um, and then try to support others in, in you know, closing the gap um, between what it is and what it has the potential to become. Yeah, so between like the magic that you see and, and maybe what other people don't see in, in like the same vision that you, that you have for what you're potentially investing in. Yeah, at the end of the day, you know, you're there, you know, you, I, I think of the entrepreneur as my client. Um, and that, that language is unusual, but it, it really is the way I, I, I think about the kind of VC that I want to be, is someone who contributes value. And that, and that doesn't mean showing up and telling them what I think they need. Um, it means, you know, applying myself and whatever talents and expertise I have in service to what they are trying to accomplish. And, and again, that is an agency sensibility. I've spent a lot of my life doing that. Um, but it is a, it's a big change from, you know, being there in the trench and trying to fix it yourself the way you want to fix it. The, you know, I think rising to the level of VC now here in Boston comes with a little bit of baggage, I guess, for the, for the, the position as it, as its position, as it's compared to being a VC in Silicon Valley or New York, whereas there is this view that 
Boston VCs don't see the magic or they don't have the same outlook. Uh, they're much more conservative than, uh, you know, some venture capitalists in other places. No, I mean, I, I, you know, I never thought that was fair. I mean, I've served on the board of New England Venture Capital Association for, you know, a long time now and, and you know, have worked closely with a lot of, you know, different VCs. And I think it's very challenging to sort of paint the whole universe of them with the broad brush of risk aversion or whatever. You know, when I look back on the sort of 128 Rust Belt, you know, uh, going to Money Mountain and Waltham with your hat in hand to ask for money from some guy who drove a, you know, blue Ferrari to the office. I mean, like those days, that, that was a long time ago. And I feel like there's a new generation of VCs in town. You know, uh, it's interesting. For a while, Spark was that. Now they're kind of the grand dame in a way. Um, yeah, which is funny how that, ha- you know, that, yeah, that it evolution. Is. It is. It absolutely is. And, and but like, you know, I think what Accomplice is doing is cool. I'm excited about what we're doing, you know, and, uh, you know, the pillar guys and the underscore guys have adopted aspects of our model that are much more community driven. Um, so I, I think I do think there is a kind of new wave of, of venture capitalists, people coming on board, you know, that that, you know, have some operating experience, have a different view of risk that understand the role of emotion in affecting buying decisions, which I think opens them up to more consumer opportunities. So I, I feel like, um, you know, Boston VC is is in good shape. And I think we're an important part of uh, an innovation economy and ecosystem that is thriving right now. And then that just wouldn't be true if if Boston VCs were half as bad as people, you know, love to say they were. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh... So you you posted an image on social media the other day leaving Actifio. I've done that thing a couple times, walking out of a you know place that you have deep emotional ties, uh, you know, and it's singular, very strange experience because it's you by yourself. You're you're going through a lot of emotions. What was that like in 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 terms of you know, leaving Actifio where you did a lot of work for a long period of time? Yeah, that sucked. Um... You know, you're, you know, you're carrying, you know, you have a big box of shit and you're walking out the door and, you know, I designed that office and, um, and um, I have a very strong personal um, affection for it and the people in it, you know, um, you know, none more than Ash. Um, you know, uh, it's funny, you know, when, when people first approached me about the VC thing, um, which was not Bob, by the way, it was someone else and I had gone to Bob for advice, but... But one of the first people I talked to was Ash, um, because you know Ash. One of the great things about the guy is he he's just he tells the truth, and and I knew he would he would give me good counsel because he's been both an entrepreneur and and uh, an investor. People forget he was a Greylock for a few years after App IQ, um, and he had some great insight and some great thoughts and and helped shape my thinking in a way that that kind of made G20 the obvious choice for me. Um, so. You know, it it it, um, it it was it was it was hard. Um, I, I I love that there's an opportunity for me to continue to contribute there, and I think this is sort of a little bit underreported in the in some of the press covering the change. But I'm going to remain on it as a strategic advisor there. That's great. And uh, so I'm involved in the aspect of the job and, and at the strategy level in much the same way as I've always been. I'm just not running the marketing organization. Uh, that's in the very capable hands of a guy named Brian Regan. Um, who, so, we're, uh, so we're breaking news here as well, right? We're breaking, doing some news breaking or at least covering an aspect that we, that are, uh, we are. We are breaking news here, Dennis. 
yeah, so I'm I'm going to be involved in in Actifio and and expect to work closely with Ash and with Jim Sullivan and with Brian uh, to the extent that uh, I can contribute there, um, and uh, you know help uh, bring that plane in for landing. Awesome, that's great. Uh, you know, I, I you do a lot of writing and and. Your approach to, to life is is writing, podcasting, doing a lot. There, but one of the things I read uh, that you wrote is what I'm going to invest in first, which was published today or yesterday on Medium, I think. Um, and it was, I thought it was great. Uh, and I thought it was interesting how you broke down exactly the type of companies you're looking for. Um, that at, at least first, that that you know, some people might be moving to a VC role, might say, I'm going to make a big splash, I'm going to do something, and they might get themselves in a you know, into something they really don't know well enough to, to have expertise in. And you kind of lay out exactly the type of company you're looking for. And it's in sales and marketing, which you've done. You know, there's a, you know, a simplicity uh, to what you're looking for, something that, that does something very simply, something that somebody that does something very accurately. And I think uh, the last part, which I thought was most important, is that it's results-driven and not metrics-driven. Um, you know, h- how long did it take you to come up with that? you know, as a framework for what you're looking for and why do you think that's important for investors or, or even, you know, for people who are looking at a market potentially that they want to attack and, and having trying to create a trying to find a better sense of, of what they actually should be looking for? Well, you know, I was it started with just, you know, thinking about um you know w- what I wanted to do. You know, there there's I, you know, the thing I loved less about Actifio was you spend five years in a very narrow area of expertise, which is the virtualization of, you know, global enterprise data. And that's a fascinating subject with lots of nooks and crannies, but, you know, five years of anything, um, you know, gets a little old. So, so, you know, suddenly you have a much bigger palette. You can essentially involve yourself in whatever you find interesting, subject to the limitations of the fund prospectus, which are, which are pretty broad. Um, and so, you know, I spent some time like reading up on AI and learning about blockchain and, and uh, you know, voice recognition and, you know, all this other, you know, all the, the usual suspects. Right? <clears throat> and so, you know, I, I, I've come to understand those technologies, at least conceptually. And, and the next step is, okay, so, you know, where am I able to bring something unique to this or to, to differentiate myself or to, to focus on something, you know, um, that is incremental to whatever the world is doing without me. And, um, you know, as I reflected on that, you know, I, I really like businesses that are built from the problem back instead of from the solution forward. Um, and, and I've, I've um, you know, built and invested in businesses from both directions. And the ones built from the problem back have mostly been successful. And the ones built from the solution forward have been mostly not. Um, so this is a hard, hard learned, um, lesson. And so when I look at the world now through the investor lens, I say, okay, you know, what are the problems with which I have intimate f- familiarity and maybe a perspective that, you know, an entrepreneur or somebody else who hasn't done that for a living for quite as long, you know, wouldn't have. And, and that's obviously in the area of sales and marketing, broadly speaking. Um, and so then I thought about, well, you know, what are the problems there? You know, what are the, what are the sources of frustration? And one of my biggest, um, something I've actually blogged about in the past is just, is just, you know, marketing is just so complicated these days. Um, you know, the whole, you know, I hate the sort of whole growth hacking, 
mentality that you yeah. Can in the in the in the post, you had this monster slide that has about it, I I didn't I couldn't even guess how many companies there are. It looked to me as if there were five hundred. Uh, kind of marketing startup companies that you who were referencing and you know not wanting to be to find a company that was just another uh, adding to the pro- to the problem of all these different solutions that that are that marketing companies are trying to solve. Yeah, Mar- I think Martech is just a shit show right now, um, and and it's a full time job just to keep up with whatever the next big thing is, and and there's rarely value in marketing from anything that's easy or quick to do like. You know, creating value in marketing is always about, you know, quality of execution and sustained effort and discipline in the way that you engage. Um, and um, and so I think a lot of it is just empty promises and, you know, shiny objects. Um, and so, you know, that was really the starting point of the post. And, and you know, you mentioned I, I do enjoy writing. Part of it is because it helps me organize my own thoughts, you know. And as I started to think about, okay, well, you know, what is the real problem? And and over time, just sort of thinking hard about that in the car or whatever, um, you know, those three ideas really came came to the fore. You know, simplicity over complexity, um, because I think that um, we've just gotten into this very complicated place with marketing, and it's not sustainable. I think you you know you really want to pick the four, three or four tactics and just execute the shit out of them, as opposed to trying to do 15 things and you know half well. Um, and that's something I've always believed as a marketing executive and driven through my teams. And, and I think it's never been more true than now. And now you're, um, and now you're kind of on the hunt to find the, the companies that do that best. Uh, that's right. That's right. And, and, you know, as part of a, you know, I've been a member of G20 since the first fund in 2013. And we're invested in two companies now, um, uh, Modic and um, Evergage, that I think really do a great job um, of bringing some new capabilities to the table in a way that simplifies things for the marketer. Um, more recently, we did a deal with a company called Emissary, which is more about the human aspect of sales. So, you know, I think the companies in the portfolio today all have some aspect of um, this notion of, um, you know, bringing a more simplified and human lens to the problem of, of uh, sales and marketing. And um, I think there's way more out there and, and not only in the simplification zone, but but again, in this distinction between precision and accuracy, which I think is, is um, you know, sort of uh, underdeveloped. And then finally, um, the difference between results and metrics, because I think there's a shitload of metrics out there and nowhere near enough results. So, so those three things kind of came together, and, and that was the sort of foundation of the post. And I wrote it up and refined it, bounced it off a few people, and, and hit, hit send. And, and it was, um, you know, actually a bunch of people asked me about it at the Techstars. It's been very well received. That's great. It's it's always good when you hit that. You know, we were talking about it before the moment of hitting send, and then whatever you feel after that. And it's always good to have uh, confirmation that you, you know, that what you put out there was good. So I know yeah. how that feels. <laughs> Absolutely, and and I would say that that you know when you ask like what kind of investor I want to be, like you know I'm not I'm not a VC genius. Like I, I you know I, I don't I don't fucking know. Um, but I, what I want to do is I want to engage in a conversation with people who see the same problems and maybe have a different perspective. And, you know, that post is now, you know, I had a great conversation with Jason Jacobs at, at the event. Um, and, you know, he brought some new ideas and I brought some new ideas. And I think that's the way that's the way it's supposed to be, is that you're you're out there and you're refining your idea and you're talking to smart people and it's shaping your view. And hopefully I can contribute something and they can. And I, I think 
that success and venture, you know, more often than not, it kind of arises organically from that, as opposed to like me sitting in a dark room, formulating some singular vision, and then finding an entrepreneur who wants to do what I want to do. And like, I think that's just bullshit. Um, yeah, I, I think that's fantastic. I think the point you're making is fantastic. And I'm, you know, I, I'm happy to, to, you know, that we got to that point in this conversation. And, and as we close it out, uh, it's something that I always felt, uh, after every conversation that we've ever had, I've, I always learned something new, and I always appreciated that um, about you that you that you you know never held back, and and you're always looking to kind of impart wisdom in discussion. I think we did the same thing here today, um, and I'm glad that we did. Uh, so I really appreciate you coming on uh, this this podcast, uh, and uh, congratulations once again um, on the move. And I think you're going to do some great things, and looking forward to watch uh, how it unfolds. So thank you, Mike. Uh, once again, and good luck. I appreciate it, Dennis. Keep up the uh, keep up the newsletter. I'm digging that too. That was great stuff from Mike. Uh, it was good to catch up. Uh, that was recorded the day of the recent TechStars demo day. If you like the podcast and uh, you like the newsletter, please share. Uh, it's greatly appreciated and it helps out a lot. More recently, I had a chance to catch up with Andy Palmer, who's been investing in Boston companies for a long time, took a break, and now he's going to get back into it, but he's also doing some great things with Tamer. So I'm here with Andy Palmer, uh, CEO, right? Is that the correct title? Yeah, I prefer uh, the co-founder title. <laughs> co-founder yeah. of Tamer, uh, and it's great to join him here. We're in Harvard Square at Tamer's office. Uh, lots of stuff happening over the past couple weeks. First, uh, you joined Founder Collective in, a, in a, the founder investor role, correct? That's the, that's the title? Yeah, founder partner. Yeah, founder partner. We'll yeah. talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. And uh, Tamer was in the news raising money from GE, which is also mm-hmm. big news uh, for a couple different reasons. But first, Founder Collective, you said, I know you've done deals with them in the past. Um, you know, How did that go down? How did you get involved with Founder Collective? And, and then we'll talk about the role exactly. Yeah. So the, the real inspiration for me in, in formalizing this role with Founder Collective is uh, so that I can spend more time on Tamer. And uh, I, I've worked with Eric and David and Micah for uh, almost a decade now uh, since I started COA. And we have so many co-investments. COA Labs, which is like an incubator yeah. type thing. Yeah, incubator and seed fund. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so... Uh, when when I started leaning in and, and focusing more on Tamer, it was very natural to take a lot of the new stuff that I was doing at Coa and just start to channel that through into Founder Collective. And um, and I trust you know for me it's all about founders in Boston, and so uh, I really trust uh, the Founder Collective team that all the founders that I was working with before and that when they work with Founder Collective, they're gonna get the same kind of counsel and mentorship and advice and uh, uh, you know, sort of uh, respect um, that I was trying to give people at, at COA. So very similar values. And so the role of founder partner, what does yeah. that mean? You know, what, is the, what does it mean and, and what, are your, like, what do you think you can do, do from that position? Yeah, well, you know, it, it allows me to continue to help entrepreneurs in Boston mm-hmm. uh, without having to handle a lot of the administrative stuff and the coordination and things. Uh, the Founder Collective team takes care of all that stuff. Um, and also, when I, when I started COA and the, the seed fund uh, that, uh, that we started, which was, you know, $5 million plus of my own money, 
Um, one of the goals was to found uh, first-time entrepreneurs that had a technical background here in Cambridge and Boston. And uh, I did that, and it has been you know, successful. And, uh, but now that I really want to focus on Tamer, uh, I need some way to continue to support that. And the best way, I think, to do that is through Founder Collective, that uh, they, they let me express that, that continued interest in the Boston uh, founder community. And so in turn, like specific, you know, what is, I, th- I think people have an idea what a VC does and what yeah. like an EIR might do. Yeah. So like what, you know, responsibilities are you like, you deal, know, is I, it deal I, flow? Is yeah, it? I don't really, you know, I don't like boxes you know, <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, yeah. and I like to break the rules. So, uh, you know, I'd like to think it doesn't fit into any of those, but uh, it, it kind of works for, 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 for both of us. I, I send them deals that I would have looked at, uh, that come into me, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I now send those deals directly to Founder Collective uh, first and foremost. It's not that I don't send them to other people, but, yeah. you know, um, but that's kind of my default. Yeah, you have a more formal relationship. Yeah, and they have, we also have so many co-investments together, like PillPack is a great example mm-hmm. where TJ and Elliot, when they were getting started, um, you know, David and myself, like we just wanted to help those guys, you know, fulfill their mission. And um, there are a bunch of those co-investments where that's the case. And it's just easier if I do that through Founder Collective mm-hmm. now than um, and kind of centralizes a lot of it and coordinate, you know, uh, 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 consolidates all my energy in the, in the entrepreneurial community. Yeah, PillPack yeah. now, they're all over the place. Spend a lot of time out in Utah. These yeah, days. yeah, right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Those guys are killing it. Yeah. I have such deep respect for what TG and Elliot are building. Really and cool. so... Uh, so that happened, and then the news came out about Tamer getting some funding, and it's yeah. undi- the amount is undisclosed, right? Uh, uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, but, know. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, uh, bet- between us, it was about five million bucks, yeah. and, and all your followers. Um, but you know, it's it's really amazing. GE, the relationship between Tamer and GE has yeah. been so good. We've helped them save lots and lots of money by optimizing their direct spend. Yeah, and I know you've been working with them for a while, and and and, yeah. and I think just like quickly, like I know what Tamer does um, mm-hmm. intimately. Uh, but how, you know, if you can just briefly, how does Tamer get into GE and help them save money? Yeah, so so GE had a really simple question they were trying to answer when we first started working with them, which was, are we getting the best terms every time we buy something across all of GE? That's a really hard question to answer because GE has hundreds of different procurement systems all over the world, and they run a very decentralized organization. And so they don't have one procurement system, they've got hundreds. So uh, every time now when somebody buys something at GE, there's this uh, uh, role that Tamer plays in the background to validate whether or not they're getting the best terms and recommends or suggests uh, you know, potential terms that are better. It turns out there was a lot of low-hanging fruit in the spend-op area. Mm-hmm. And in the first phase of work that we did with them, there was uh, over $80 million worth of spend optimization available. So that's pretty, you know, big amount of money, right? And there's been even more uh, since we started working with them. So, uh, you know, it really is hard dollar savings. And when people talk about the value of of big data and analytics and all these things, uh, I've, you know, having been on the customer side of these kinds of tech uh, solutions in the past, like it's got to either save save these customers a ton of money, or it's got to help them grow. It's got to help them sell a lot more stuff really fast. So I'm really psyched that we've helped GE save so much money, and I think that really helped build the confidence. So much so that 
at the end of the day, they were thinking if if Tamer can help everybody else save this kind of money, that's going to be a wildly successful company. And so you were working with GE even before they were in Boston. So now they're yeah. headquartered in Boston. Oh uh, yeah, it was like it's like the stars lining up. You know? <laughs> and, and we were just I, I'm really I have deep respect for GE and and as a company and. Um, so we started working with them. We had these successful projects with them. They bought Tamer Software um, in a pretty big way. They've, they've been our biggest customer for two years now. Then they announced the move to Boston, and then they decided to in, invest in, in Tamer last year. So it's just been this, you know, sort of really perfect kind of a thing. Yeah, and it's, and, you know, it's one of the first kind of out there in the public dealings yep. happening between a uh, company in Boston, NGE, that's happened since yeah. they've officially moved yeah. here. So it's a big, pretty big deal. And people keep asking, you know, this feature, you know, I think they're just featured in USA Today, the move mm-hmm. that GE made. And, you know, it's like, how is it going to help Boston? I think you worked, how you guys are working together is a classic, perfect example It's of that. fantastic. And, and, you know, quietly, too, they have a bunch of great investments in Boston. You mm-hmm. know, the... Um, you know, Desktop Metal is, uh, you know, Rick Phillips' company. I was over is, there the other day. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. See, see, like, you know, I, I'm really thrilled with what Rick's doing, and I, I was an early investor with him. And um, But G's really had a big impact, in, you know, with him. Um, Iora Health, uh, mm-hmm. my buddy Rushika uh, Fernopoli, uh, is another one that's really had this great relationship with G for a long time, GE Ventures. So, like, they're, they're doing so much here already. Like, it's really, but they've been very modest about it, very quiet about it. So I'm really psyched to sort of uh, uh, turn up the volume on it a little bit and talk a little bit more, talk a lot more about what GE's doing. Yeah, Boston. what do you think the, you know, like, how, how do you see it in GE integrating with community? Uh, well, I think it's really good because, in general, we're, we're so modest here mm-hmm. and sort of, uh, low-key about our successes. You look at a company like Cargurus is a great example. Mm-hmm. You know, Langley Steinert is an amazing mm-hmm. entrepreneur mm-hmm. and what he's built, I mean, he's getting, he's going to take this thing public. It's going to be wildly successful. But, you know, Langley, he doesn't sort of, you know, mm-hmm. bang his... He's his quiet. Yeah, he's a quiet very guy. quiet yeah. guy. And, and I think the culture at G is a similar thing, right? Quiet competence and, you know, it sort of matters. Like, real stuff matters. Yeah. You know, and G. there's a lot of that locally. There's a totally. lot of stuff that no one hears yeah. about that is real. Really, you know. That's right. But maybe, you know, what I'm hoping is that as, you know, more Boston companies kind of line up with GE, that GE becomes like this amplifier mm-hmm. uh, for, for a lot of this stuff that we're doing here that's that's really good. And um, and, I, and I think GE is going to get huge benefits. The quality of the technical community here in Boston, I mean, it's just unparalleled. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I always like to say anytime uh, startups in Boston complain about uh, technical recruiting, like they, they have no idea what yeah. they're saying, right? You know, we have it so good here. Yeah. And I think GE is going to find that. I think they're going to recruit a whole ton of really great people uh, to work at GE here in Boston uh, from the technical community. And and I think it's something they need right now as they're going through this big transformation. Unbelievable. Great. Perfect. Uh, thanks for uh, hanging out again. It's always good to see you. And, yeah, man. And always great to catch up. You always get yeah. an interesting perspective on things from the from the kind of the uh, multiple different levels. So yeah, I appreciate Thanks for it. coming over and having a beer. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Right. Cheers. This is Dennis Cohane, and thanks again for listening to the Utterly Biased Podcast. If you enjoyed this, again, please go and subscribe to the newsletter at www.utterlybiased.com. And also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. We'll have some even more interesting stuff for you next time.